NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, ladies and gentlemen, the proud owner of a paperback copy of Cooking with Coolio, five-star meals at a one-star price. Here is the captain. Slide, slide, slippity slide. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Oktoberfest is technically over according to the official calendar, but here in the garage, we are just super festive. So let's let the celebration continue. This week, we are very happy to be featuring Spatzen Oktoberfest, your Meriton beer. So we're getting very festive over here in the garage. I hope I said that right. This is a dark copper colored beauty. So you're going to want to pour this baby into a glass and it is sure to put you in a festive mood as well. Garage grade three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. And let's give some cheers to our friends that are helping us celebrate today. First up, a big cheers to Rebecca from Ankeny, Iowa. And a big we like your jib to Dana Miller in Goshen, Indiana. And last but not least, we have Priscilla from Grand Rapids. Everybody we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and clicked on the donate button, which helped us out with this week's beer run. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. Get you some. Go to the website store and buy yourself a hoodie. It's hoodie season, and we're going to be launching some more hoodies in the next couple weeks, so look out for those. And make sure you sign up on our mailing list when you're at truecrimegarage.com. And Colonel, that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. This week's case takes us back to the great state of Virginia. Now, Virginia has not been a frequent stop for us here at True Crime Garage. In fact, 
in the first six or so years that we have been covering cases, I can only think of a few times that we dropped by this state that is home to the Blue Ridge Mountains and Chesapeake Bay. Rather, we have spent a great deal of time in other states, larger states, and sadly, states that were home to some strange and unsolved murders. States like Texas, California, Florida, and of course, we have spent a good deal of time in our own state, Ohio. But that does not for one second mean that Virginia or its people are immune to the tragedies that befell others in other states. Nor should one think that Virginia is without its share of some strange and unsolved murders. Why one would only need to look to the Colonial Parkway murders and the still unsolved Shenandoah murder cases to see that sadly, that is not the case. Both factually and unfortunately, none of our states of 50 are immune to any of this madness. Recently, we have seen an increase in cases covered here in the garage coming out of Virginia. We covered the short family murders, the murder of socialite Danita Cutts, and Emma Compton Lane, all still unsolved. This is not to suggest an uptick in murders and crime in Virginia. No, we covered the short family case just this last August on the 20th anniversary of the crime. A sad reminder that justice is still needed. Danita's case dates back to the late 70s. And unfortunately, Emma's case is now over five years old. We are still holding out hope here in the garage on all of these cases. The cases we cover are suggested to us from our fine listeners. And that is because we are kind enough to allow them to steer this ship. More than one person emailed us about the still unsolved case of Amy Baker. A quick internet search turned up a short news piece from ABC7 News on your side, WJLA.com, if you would like to read it for yourself. The piece is by Timothy Barber from back in August of 2020, and it's titled Murder Victims Family Hopes Fairfax County Cold Case Website Will Provide Answers. The title is in bold, squatty little letters. I'm unsure of the font. And just below, there's a very nice picture of the young lady. It may even be a high school senior portrait. She has a pretty and somehow familiar face. Her smile is confident, and her eyes and expression are both full of promise. Sometimes, it might be okay to judge a book by its cover. This cover tells me she was a good kid. The picture also tells me that she is missed dearly. The story references a one Sue Baker. She's the victim's mother and angel here on earth, still fighting for her daughter. The story gives a few details about the case, but it is more about introducing a new website for the public. One put together by the Virginia Fairfax County Cold Case Squad. Unfortunately, Amy Baker's 1989 case is just one of dozens that are featured on the website. The story ends by saying, click here to learn more about Amy's case and other cold cases. One click of your mouse will take you to a spreadsheet of unsolved cold case homicides 
from Fairfax County spanning from 1980 to 1989. Amy Baker's case and that same nice picture are found at the top of page 5. I am not happy to report that when I scroll through the pages, there are a couple of other names and photos of victims that I recognize. In a column to the right of Amy's picture, the spreadsheet cell provides a brief description of her case that reads, 18-year-old Amy Baker was last seen leaving a relative's house in Falls Church the evening of March 29, 1989. Her vehicle was located on the side of Interstate 95 by Black Lake Road later that evening. On March 31, 1989, Amy's body was found in a wooded area off the interstate. Personally, I don't feel that Amy Baker's case has received enough media attention over the years, and that is why we are covering it here today. This is True Crime Garage. evening of Wednesday, March 29th, 1989, 18-year-old Amy Baker got in her car. She had just wrapped up a several-day visit to her aunt's house. This is her mother's sister, and she was visiting some friends as well in Falls Church, a Virginia suburb of Washington, D.C., that is quite developed and populous. Amy was heading home to Hartwood in Stafford County, where she lived with her parents. The drive was not far and consisted mostly of highways that are busy at all hours of the night in the notoriously congested area. Amy headed south on I-95, Interstate 95. Unfortunately, she never made it home. And by 11 p.m., Sue Baker, Amy's mother, was starting to get worried. She knew that Amy had left Falls Church around 8.20 p.m. Even in D.C.'s crazy traffic, it would not have taken her two and a half hours to get home to Fairfax. The trip should have taken under an hour. Sue managed to catch a few hours sleep, but in the morning, the first thing she did was call her sister to confirm that, yes, Amy had left the night before. Amy's frantic parents reported her missing Thursday morning. In the age before cell phones, there was no tracking their daughter's location to see where she was. But they also knew Amy and that she wouldn't have likely have deviated from her route. There was no reason to. She was 18. If she wanted to go somewhere else rather than coming home, she would have just told her mom that's what she was doing. But no, Amy had said that she was coming home. In fact, she said, I'm coming home. I'll be there soon. And Sue Baker didn't know this at the time, but the state police had already found Amy's car. That's right, Captain. The vehicle was spotted by a Virginia state trooper on that Wednesday night. It was found abandoned on the shoulder of Interstate 95 southbound. The massive eight-lane highway, it runs the length of the East Coast. It was just south of the Newington Interchange, which is a major commuter area. According to the Newport News Daily Press, police said Amy pulled over 
on the shoulder of Interstate 95 near the Blacklick Road exit in Springfield. This was less than 30 minutes away from her parents' home. Her light blue 1970 Volkswagen Beetle was Amy's first car, and it was her pride and joy. Amy's vehicle was found with its flashers on by a passing officer. This is sometime after 10 p.m. on that Wednesday night. The police, seeing that it was abandoned and was a safety hazard, radioed to have it towed to an impound lot. That was about 2.45 a.m. Thursday morning. All right, so just to be clear on a couple things, because the timeline with all of these cases is one of the most important things that we will discuss here today. Amy's 1970 Volkswagen Beetle was spotted sometime after 10 p.m. by the state police. So that is fact. That's nothing that we can call into question there. Right. Also, what is fact is that state police called in to have it towed at 2.45 a.m. We've talked about this in other cases, Captain, where and when a vehicle is spotted by law enforcement, especially highway patrol, they're going to mark the vehicle. They're going to note the license plate, the description of the vehicle, the time that they see it abandoned on the side of the road, especially we're talking about a busy major commuter area, a congested traffic area, this Interstate 95 southbound. They're going to note all of these items and they're going to allow a certain amount of time for the motorist, whoever they may be, to return to the vehicle and get the vehicle themselves off of the side of the road whether it be to drive it away or have it towed. So in this situation, the vehicle is spotted by state police a little after 10 p.m. that Wednesday night. And then so we fast forward to about four, four and a half hours later at 2.45 a.m., technically Thursday morning, is when it's radioed in to have the vehicle towed away. Well, and that time is going to vary depending on how much of a hazard the vehicle could be, how much of the vehicle is obstructing the road. Correct. And in this case, the vehicle is cleanly off of the road. And this is probably why they, why they allowed so much time for someone to return to it. The interesting thing here too, though, in the notations made by the state police will be that obviously it said that the vehicle was found abandoned. So this is not a situation where they come upon the vehicle and Amy Baker's inside or standing near the vehicle. This vehicle was abandoned, meaning the motorist, the driver, in this case it's Amy Baker, is not present when the state police find the vehicle shortly after 10 p.m. Well, very scary situation when your daughter does not come home after she says she's coming home, and then to even more of a red alert situation when you find her car abandoned. Also of note here, Captain, it's important to mention that the vehicle was found unlocked. I'm a little unclear as to what this means. Does this mean that the state police found the vehicle unlocked when they first located it at 10 p.m.? Or was the vehicle discovered to be unlocked when it was eventually towed away at 2.45 a.m.? It sounds to me, if I had to guess, that likely... The locks, the doors were probably not checked until it was time to tow the vehicle away. But what is of importance here is that, one, the vehicle was found unlocked, but it also sounds like they didn't do too much or go to too much effort to figure out who owned the vehicle 
or to search the the vehicle itself before having it towed away. Well, you stated that the flashers were on. Correct. See, I'm going to disagree with you on this because the flashers were on. I would assume that law enforcement, when they come up upon the vehicle, one, they'd turn the flashers off. And that's probably when they noticed that the doors were unlocked. Before having it towed away. Yeah, because if you leave the flashers on, you run the risk of having the battery die. And if somebody is coming back for the vehicle, obviously they're not going to be able to move it if the battery is dead. That's interesting. And that's something that I would like to learn more about. Because it, from my understanding, you would you would leave the flashers on as a, this is nighttime. Right. So that nobody smashes into this vehicle. The what I'm curious about is if, in fact, that is the case, if they spot the vehicle and it's found a little after 10 flashers on, they leave the flashers on. Is that the indicator to the state highway patrol that the owner never returned to the vehicle and now it's time to tow it away? And again, I'm not a mechanic, but I'm guessing if you leave those flashers on for four hours that your battery is going to be drained dead the thing that i think is interesting here though is that the car is found unlocked again i'm pointing out that i don't think that they took the time to check to see one the contents of the vehicle but more importantly who owned it right you, you check the glove box or you check something inside the vehicle and you're likely going to figure out who owns this vehicle and the reason why i think that that's a bit of a misstep here and i know that we've discussed this before there finding an abandoned vehicle. That's one thing completely different. That's a completely different situation than what this situation is going to lead us to. Right. I don't know. It's frustrating looking back on this in hindsight because you would think that if they did figure out who owned the vehicle, that they would be concerned that a young woman who had just turned 18 years old two weeks before and inside the vehicle, we have a backpack, her purse containing her wallet, a paycheck, her clothing, her glasses are also found inside the car. So to me, if I happen upon this vehicle, I find those items in there. As an officer, I'm going to be concerned about finding these items in there. And just a little rant, because I, I know this is 1989, correct? Correct. Now of days with the technology that we have just on our smartphones, law enforcement, when they see an abandoned car, could go on there, do a voice recording of what they found, and then snap a couple pictures and then send that to a file. So then if the person goes missing and the person's missing for 10 years or 15 years or whatever it is, we have that documented from the moment that they found the car. That's correct. In my opinion here, Captain, all of these items being found in the vehicle is a very bad sign. And likely, that I mean, really, this is a bad sign that's going to turn into a very bad omen rather quickly. Question for you. The tires were okay? Correct. So what, what we have here is we have mom who calls in and reports her daughter missing. The Amy Baker's family reports her missing that Thursday morning. Now, they didn't know that the vehicle had been found the night before. They didn't know that the vehicle had been towed away. It's once they report her missing that the family is informed that a vehicle matching, remember, because they didn't check to see who the owner of the vehicle was that they found. Right. But they're saying, hey, by the way, a vehicle that matched the description of your daughter's vehicle 
We actually spotted that on Interstate 95 and we had it towed away early this morning. And they were told that the determination was that Amy's car had run out of gas. And sad when you think about that because just a simple mistake and now we have a missing teenager. Well, yes. And this is one of those situations that you really hate to hear about. You know, this is something that I experienced in a vehicle that I owned at one time. It had a bad gas gauge and that was the same thing with, with Amy's Beetle. It had a bad gas gauge. Look, her vehicle was 19 years old. And Mm -hmm. so this wasn't a terribly uncommon thing back then for older, especially people driving vehicles that are of the older state. And from my understanding, the way that the family has reported this, they said that the gas gauge at times worked and at other times did not work. So this would be. And and that's even worse than it just not working all the time. Because at least if it doesn't work all the time, then you can calculate the mileage and all, all that kind of stuff. And but sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But you've you've been in a old Volkswagen. Even going to high school in the nineties, there were kids that had Beatles from the seventies that there were their prized possession and it was kind of a iconic car. But those are like basically driving around a golf cart or a little go kart. Well, and not to get too far off on a side story here, but a gas gauge that works sometimes and sometimes does not work is the same thing that happened to Leonard Skinner. So this is not a terribly uncommon thing here. It's really very unfortunate. She's traveling alone, runs out of gas in the middle of the night, and then would be forced to pursue getting gas or getting help on foot because of it being 1989. And as you pointed out, no cell phone for for Amy Baker. It's also should be noted that this was not the first time that this gas problem had occurred. She probably knew what to do. Anybody that's ever run out of gas, the the car behaves in a, in a certain way and vehicles behave differently when this occurs, but she clearly recognized the issue once the gas was out and was able to cleanly get the vehicle off of the road. And She must have been awfully frustrated, maybe even a little scared. She's in the dark, far from home. Probably one thing that makes her feel a little better, that's a little more comforting in this situation, it it is a congested area. There's a lot of people, a lot of vehicles flying around that I, I would think one would feel somewhat better not being alone out there, even though she is trekking it alone on foot. And so she would have to have decided to get out of the vehicle and pursue help, uh, which would be, in this case, means walking to a nearby gas station. Well, it's dangerous, not just because there's humans that become predators out there. The fact that she's walking in the dark on the highway. So after receiving this report, the family is told about the vehicle that was towed away, Amy Baker's vehicle, the mother, Sue. She immediately demanded to check out her daughter's vehicle Per the Newport Daily News, at the impound lot, Sue found Amy's purse, wallet, and backpack inside the car. The car keys were not located in the vehicle. Actually, here, Captain, the car keys have never been located, never been found. Their absence remains a mystery to this day. It's part of the larger mystery of what happened to Amy Baker. The Bakers feel strongly that the items left behind in the car should have suggested two 
law enforcement that a crime had been committed. They say, after all, what you know, woman would leave her unlocked, disabled car without taking her person ID. She never makes it home that night. I agree with the family here. We don't know when an abduction occurred of Amy Baker, but we do know that it did take place. To me, this is a little more terrifying than I than I would think or or to to picture this situation because this points out to me and again we'll we'll stay water as we go through this timeline and stay fluid of the situation but when i look at the early findings in the situation it looks to me like the abduction may have occurred at the vehicle itself or for some reason whoever took her decided to return an item or two to the vehicle i cannot see her getting out on foot leaving the vehicle unlocked and not at least taking her purse or her wallet. Um, but again, we'll stay water as we go through this timeline. Well, and just, you know, to throw out some hypotheticals, she could have assumed because this happened before that she just ran down a gas, put on her flashers, stood outside her car. And then she's abducted. Like you said, outside of her car, leaving her valuable items behind. So the family is immediately concerned and they are really worried that something horrible has happened to their daughter. But on the other hand, the police were not so quick to embrace a foul play situation as the operative theory. But come on, are they ever, I mean, you get missing person cases, they'll lean towards suicide or running away to start a new life before they ever lean towards foul play. This is from a Washington Post interview with the mother of the victim, Sue Baker. It says, quote, I was beside myself and I was trying to get the Fairfax County police to do something. But because Amy was 18, they considered her an adult and proceeded accordingly. They asked us if she might be running away from something and whether she might have abandoned her car. They later told us that they had sent a patrol car to drive along the shoulder where her car had been and that a helicopter had taken a look, but no one saw anything suspicious. But Amy's family is left wondering where is Amy? Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. 
and all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. 
That's code TrueCrimeGarage50 at Factormeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back to the windows, to the walls. Love y'all. Cheers, everybody. Cheers to you, Captain. Before we get too far into the weeds here and the details of this case, let's take a quick look and a few minutes to talk about Amy Baker. And we learned a good deal about Amy, this all from a local paper, the Fairfax Times that said the Baker family had moved only months before from Falls Church to the small community of Hartwood in Stafford County. Remember, we had said that Amy was visiting friends and relatives in Falls Church, so it makes sense that she would want to go there and visit these people for several days as she is relatively new to where they are living now. The family, the Baker family, composed of Sue and Mark, who are Amy's parents, and her younger brother, David. And the family says, well, Sue says, we wanted a larger home with some land and to get away from the urban mess in Fairfax County. Amy's father, Mark, told the newspaper, we wanted a larger home with some land and to get away from the urban mess in Fairfax County. Amy Baker attended both Falls Church and J.E.B. Stewart High Schools. She played varsity field hockey, loved photography, and had plans to attend art school in Savannah, Georgia. She worked at the local mall as an event photographer, taking shots of children with the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, for example. Sue Baker, her mother, said that As worried as she was when Amy didn't come home that night, she tried to tell herself that her daughter was now 18 and that as a mother, she had to start thinking of her daughter that way as an adult and not to be so overly protective. But when Amy failed to come home by 6 a.m., she said that she knew something was terribly wrong. So mom started calling everyone that she could think of. She called the hospitals, towing companies, relatives, and the police. She called everyone. And that is when, after speaking with police, that she learned that the vehicle was spotted and found the night before. Well, we see this a lot with missing person cases where the family doesn't believe law enforcement is taking the case serious. And like we said, law enforcement tends to lean towards these ideas of well, is there some conflict in the family? And did Amy decide to start a new life? My big issue with the with Amy's case, and you you kind of you kind of leaned on this idea, her valuables, her purse, her identification, all this stuff she left behind. And the location of the vehicle itself seems like an odd placement for somebody that's choosing to run away, as police were hinting at in the early stages of this case. Again, Amy is 18. She's a legal adult. So they, they do have some grounds for that argument, but with everything I'm seeing, I think that that was a misstep here by law enforcement. The mother Sue Baker, she wasn't going to wait around the family. The Baker family was not going to wait around 
to have police come to their side and their way of thinking. In the police's defense, they did send a car. They did send a helicopter to kind of look around the area. But we're going to find some issues with that as well as we will get to here in this next part. Not to come off as a bootlicker, but law enforcement deals with thousands of missing person cases where the next day the family is calling and saying, we we found Amy, we found whoever that was missing, and they're home now and they're safe. Sue Baker and her sister-in-law, Mary Bellette, quickly threw together missing persons posters and getting ready to put them up saying, quote, have you seen Amy Baker? And keep in mind, this is 1989, so this is no small feat back then. It must have been a terrible feeling to be putting those posters together, that of your child asking strangers and posting them at at spots near her vehicle, hoping that a stranger calls with some type of information about your missing child, be it an adult child or, or otherwise. They distributed these posters all over the Newington area. Of course, they're also praying that Amy was somewhere safe and someone had seen her and has information to pass along to the family. The police said that they were taking appropriate steps to look into Amy's whereabouts. According to the then Fairfax police spokesman, Warren Carmichael, who gave a statement to the Washington Post, He said, in addition to a police lookout, a uniformed officer, an officer with a police dog, and a homicide investigator were sent on Thursday to a section of Interstate 95 just south of Blacklick Road where Amy Baker's vehicle was found by a Virginia State Police trooper. A helicopter also searched the area, he said. Well, this exit area would make more sense if you saw a picture. It will be on our Facebook our Twitter and Instagram page. This and kudos to Amy Baker's family. This was not enough. This was not good enough for Amy's mother in particular. So on March 31st, Sue insisted that an officer meet her at the location where the car was found and that they would search the area together. So she's offering to help law enforcement and requesting that they be there when she is out there actively searching boots on the ground for her own daughter. Right. So here's what she told the Fairfax times. She says a police officer was supposed to meet us at noon that day, but they had gotten a call. So that officer that was scheduled to meet her at noon got called away to a different situation, a different unrelated scenario. And so no one ever showed up. So mother Sue Baker says, Well, me and my sister-in-law, we waited around about 45 minutes, and then we decided to start walking the area ourselves. You know, they weren't going to go out there for nothing. And so her and her sister-in-law, Mary, started walking the wooded area near the abandoned car's location. This was on Good Friday, and unfortunately, we will see why. This will never be good for the Bakers ever again. Mary, the sister-in-law, told the Fairfax Times, we were walking around inside the clover leaf area of the exit ramp when I saw some bright colors among all of the brown leaves and twigs. I saw blue and white, and then I saw Amy. 
devastating. I saw her, but my brain didn't register what I was seeing until Sue put her hand on my shoulder and screamed. That sort of brought me back to reality, end quote. Amy lay on the ground just about 200 yards from where her car had been found. Her body was covered with leaves. This was right near the Blacklick Road Bridge over Interstate 395 in Newington. Do you find it odd that law enforcement didn't find her first? Yes. Yes. That's why I think it's important in the the telling of this story, of this true crime story, to point out that law enforcement is saying, hey, we, we did do a brief search of the area. Given the description of how the body was found, I don't find it terribly weird that the helicopter above didn't spot Amy. It, it What it points out to me more so, Captain, is that I, I don't think a lot of effort was made in that search. I agree with you. Now, a lot of our listeners, and I was doing this myself when I was looking into Amy's case, we like to get on the different map applications and really kind of scour the area. And we gave a great description of where the vehicle was found. Keep in mind that was Interstate 95, just south of Blacklick Road. What all reports that I've seen, Captain, and from what I've been told, is that this area, especially the Blacklick Bridge that we just discussed where she was found, this area has changed drastically over the years. So if if anybody were to... Uh, try to to look on some map applications today. Just be just know that this area is not laid out the same that it was. That's thirty three years ago now. Sue went on to tell the Fairfax Times in her interview. I knew right away what I was seeing. It was my daughter. She was covered in leaves, but I saw the new tennis shoes she had just gotten for her eighteenth birthday sticking out, and I knew it was my daughter. So the two women, they flagged down a passing ambulance. And within 20 minutes, the area was cordoned off with crime scene tape and with officers and investigators on the scene. Mary told the Washington Post that the whole thing left a bad taste in her mouth. She was married to a policeman herself, but the family did not like the way that the Fairfax police handled this whole thing. Quote, I'm mad because her mother and I had to find her. It took us half an hour. The police department couldn't do it in two days, she said. Amy was a very sweet girl, Mary said. Her assailant didn't murder one little girl. He murdered a whole family. Well, I think the big word I would use to describe law enforcement in this search effort would be pathetic. And obviously... Now we go from a missing person case to a homicide. The determination was that Amy had been beaten, sexually assaulted, and strangled. This according to the autopsy. She had been dead for two days, which was sadly as expected. Her mother told the Fairfax Times they found change in the pocket of her khaki shorts. And a coroner's report estimated that it all happened within 30 minutes to an hour of when she left her car. So not a whole lot of time takes place between the time that Amy finds herself on the side of the interstate and when she is actually killed. Again, according to the coroner, 30 
to 60 minutes roughly after Amy left her vehicle. Now, I do want to state the other problem with their pathetic search is once you find her, don't you believe that this is where the crime actually took place? So not only are you finding this missing person and now you know it's a homicide, but now you can preserve this scene, which is outside. You can do your best, but she's been out there for approximately two days. Right. No, but what I'm saying is if they would have done the search correctly, they would have found her probably two days earlier. That's correct. Yes, they did that cursory search earlier and had they spotted her and found her then they would have had a better more preserved crime scene to be investigating and and you can't blame the baker family for from they have to be furious with this yeah i mean her body's located 200 yards from where the vehicle was originally spotted so we're not talking like a, a great distance here now, this is real interesting to me here, Captain, and these are potential leads, and this is based off of the police requesting information in Amy's case. So, interestingly, police asked the public to call in any information they might have about two possible vehicles that were seen in the area. So, a statement said that police were seeking two cars the state trooper spotted, quote, near the Volkswagen. And this was a, one was a dark colored early eighties Buick and the other was a blue Ford Escort. Now, whether they received any calls about these pretty generic vehicles and their description is unknown. Once there was news reports that Amy has been murdered, there was a flood of tips. So one of these was a caller referencing an article about Amy in the freelance star of Fredericksburg. This caller was a female caller and she called crime stoppers on April 3rd. Police believe the caller was from the Fredericksburg area. The caller was assigned identification number 6125, but has never called back again. Now we don't know what this tip involved. We don't know the details of this tip, but the reason why this tip is important here, Captain, Captain, is in 2005, police said that they were renewing their plea for this person to call back. Quote, we believe there is somebody out there who knows about this case. End quote. This is according to the spokesperson, Warren Carmichael, right for the Fairfax police who goes on to say, quote, we hope that person will come forward and quote. So it sounds to me like this woman, the, the caller who called in way back in April 3rd of 1989, that this caller hinted that she had some significant information about the case, but police received this information. They, beg they plea for her to call back and according to everything i can find she never called back and that's easy to believe one because we have a second plea public plea in 2005 requesting that she call back well some people are so scared to call in in the first place so you feel for law enforcement and you feel for the baker family because this individual look they 
They might have gotten scared. They might have gotten scared. The other thing that I worry about too is is this person we're talking about a significant amount of time in this case, right? We had just said 33 years roughly in this case. And in 2005, they're requesting that this caller call back in. This is after several previous requests, but 2005 still would have been 16 years after the fact. So if this person, if this female caller did have intimate details of the case or knew who was responsible for Amy Baker's murder, there's a chance that that person was not still with us or still around in 2005, be it alive or in the area or the region at all. Well, this case definitely has some interesting points to it. There's a lot of things that are very interesting to me here in this case, Captain. I feel like even though we're sitting here 33 years later, that there's still a possibility that this case could be solved. And there are some things that we're going to get into that are of evidentiary value that will point to the possibility of still finding Amy Baker's killer all of these years later. But even in the early stages of this investigation, look, we can't go back in time and make the police find Amy's body any sooner than it was eventually located. We can't go back in time and, and erase the two days that, that took place between the time of her death and when the body was found and then preserve that crime scene even better. But we can take the things and the items that we know to be fact in this case and hone in on those and see what can be made of those. So one, we have police asking the public for help on these two vehicles that were spotted. The two vehicles that were spotted are very important to me for a couple of reasons. Right. One, one of the vehicles could in fact belong to the killer. Uh -huh. Or we have a situation where both vehicles do not belong to the killer, but could be potential witnesses or eyewitnesses to something. Um, even if they call in and talk to police and say that they didn't see anything at all, that is of value to the police because that goes into their timeline to say, well, these vehicles were within plain sight of Amy's vehicle and they didn't see Amy. They also didn't see uh, the perpetrator. So we know that the perpetrator was a male. It was whoever's responsible for this is a male. Now, the two vehicles. Yes. Is there a chance that the tip that comes in that they were so concerned about that they were asking and begging the caller to call back and speak with investigators another time? Is there a chance that that caller was the owner or has information based off of one of those vehicles that was spotted because the vehicles that they're, they're asking the public about these aren't some random vehicles. Yes. They're pretty vague descriptions of the vehicles, but these are vehicles that were spotted by the patrol officer who was the one that noted the abandoned vehicle in the first place. And then factor in the situation of this female caller calling into crime stoppers Look, that in itself points out that this caller 
likely wanted to remain anonymous because Crime Stoppers is a great way to provide a tip to law enforcement and remain anonymous. But this tip comes in on April 3rd. Amy Baker was driving home on March 29th. So five days later is when this tip is phoned in. And it's not even five days later when you think about it because she's not found until the 31st. So we really only have about three days between now we have a known homicide to when this tip comes in. How long did it take from the time that we have a known homicide and Amy Baker is identified as the victim that between that information going out to the public and this call coming in on April 3rd, I'm with police here. I feel like this tip, whatever it was that was stated in the information that this female caller gave to crime stoppers was important to the investigators at the time and has remained important to the investigators for 33 years. I'm with them. I, I don't know what was said in that tip, but it, this tip is of, of high priority in this investigation. Well, it seems like this tip was priority to the witness, but then maybe they changed their mind or maybe they just don't want to be involved. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, check out our bonus show on Stitcher Premium. It's only $5 a month. You get our show and every show that's on Stitcher Premium, and you can check out that link at truecrimegarage.com or just go to Stitcher Premium. Join us back here in the garage tomorrow for more True Crime Garage. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't listen. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.